0: Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Well, you may be seated. We're going to conclude the Big Six. Let me see a show of hands. How many of y'all have gotten something out of the Big Six over the last couple of weeks, maybe the last couple of months? And actually, it is the last couple of months. I didn't realize that, but it has been. And so tonight, I just wanted to end it with this because we've already talked about all six of them. We've talked about repentance of dead works. we talked about a faith in God. We've talked about the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands, um, um, uh, judgment, all of them. Uh, But tonight, I I think it's very important that we apply these things to our life. Amen? I tell you, every single Sunday morning... Uh, there's people that meet me out the door and that they, they tell me all kinds of different things. You know, uh, over the years, wow, that was a really good speech, or you know, they don't know anything. You know, uh, don't know how to say it any other way, or man, that really applied the word from Sunday. It would help them out. Here's the deal, and you know, the Bible says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." He leads me beside the still waters. Starts off, "The Lord is my shepherd." You have to make him your shepherd. He has to be your shepherd. CNN can't be your shepherd. Your mother-in-law can't be your shepherd. Come on, Facebook cannot be your shepherd. Thou saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? All right. Uh, Instagram cannot be your shepherd. The Lord has to be your shepherd. And and you have to learn how to apply the word to your life. And so uh, I I I didn't want to end this by just all six are over. And uh, without giving an opportunity, I studied this out in James uh, many times. And tonight I want to kind of put it into a Bible school format because there's some Greek words in here that I believe each and every one of us need to know. All right? You ready? Let's start off. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacheth you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Then chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So let's jump into the text tonight. We have seen how essential, everybody say essential. All right, I'm making sure awake, you're awake tonight. The six fundamental doctrines are in order to build a stronger foundation for our lives in Christ. But it's not just a matter of understanding these starting point doctrines. We're supposed to put into practice... Say that again. We're supposed to put into practice what we've learned over the last couple of weeks and move on building on a sure foundation of the basics, the ABCs, easy as one, two, three, of our Christian faith. We're not just adding to our tank of Bible knowledge so we can accumulate more knowledge of other doctrines. God expects us to commit ourselves to live according to the revelation we've attained from Hebrews and begin to do what we have learned. It's both hearing and doing that establishes the foundation of in our lives so we can build better. Did you hear that? It's the hearing and it's the doing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. But you've got to do faith. Amen? Tonight, we're going to talk about how to be a doer of the word. We've learned and... and, and uh, Word we've learned, and not a hearer only. And that's the definition of a true disciple or committed learner, someone who not only understands the elementary doctrines of the faith, but who also makes the decision to remove every wrong belief system, adjust every wrong mindset, and truly grab a hold of those truths until they take root in their life. They are a doer of the word, hearing, learning, and understanding. Let's lay apart. So let's focus on James 1, 21 through 25. You know the text. You'll love it. And explore what it means to fully receive the Word of God into our lives in a way that actually promotes lasting transformation and a continual ongoing walk of power. We don't want to be hearers only. The Bible commands us to be doers. Everybody say doers. Say it again, doers. We are called to lead people into repentance. Say that again. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the associate pastor. It's, just, it's not for just uh, uh, people on the leadership team of the church. God has called you people out there to lead other people into repentance. Are you hearing me tonight? To make sure they have a faith that is in Christ and Christ alone, and to help people get saved, water, baptiz- water baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit, we are responsible for finding opportunities to lay hands on the sick, to see them recover, and to impart blessing to people through the laying on of hands uh, as the Holy Spirit leads us. We're to can encourage believers to live for God on earth so, that, so they can experience the joy of their heavenly rewards. How many of y'all want family members to experience what you have felt in the presence of God? Amen. Well, they ain't going to get it through osmosis. They, they need to be, it needs to be shared with them. Amen. Similarly, we're to warn the unsaved that the only eternal <clears throat> remedy for one who rejects Christ is the lake of fire. God has made a way for us to do all of these things because he included them in his word as foundational principles that help define our walk with him. They're important to God and we have the ability to do them. Let's read James 1:21 through 25. This is the text we're going to break down tonight. It says, Wherefore, I'm reading now the King James Version so we can break it apart in Greek. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers but, ye, but be ye doers of the word and not, not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, he being not a forgetful hearer. He being not a forgetful hearer. I'm telling you, King James is hard to read. But a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So James one twenty one provides key instruction. Everybody say key instruction. that You need to write it down. And if you're not writing it down, go ahead and write it down anyway. Key instruction to ensure that you are a doer of the word you have just learned. And a true disciple of Jesus, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Let's dissect this verse um, apart and explore what each part means so you can really understand it. Are you ready? I believe you're going to get some tonight, so lean in on it. The phrase lay apart is translated from the compound Greek word. Wait, did I go too far? If you read verse 21, thank you, Margaret, in context, you see that James was talking about our response to the word that we have heard. James wrote, lay apart all filthiness and superfluid of naughtiness. The phrase lay apart is translated from the comp- compound Greek word apotithemy. The word apo means away, and the word tithemy means to lay down or to place. When you compound the two words, the new word apotithemy means to take something off, to lay it down, and to push it away and put space between you and that object. Isn't that good? Put space between you and that object. This word apatithomy paints a picture of someone making sure a certain object is so far from him that he can't reach reach it to pick it up and put it back on again. In fact, this is the Greek word used to describe the act of removing old, dirty clothes. So you think about what, what that's like when you come to the end of the day and it's time for you to go to bed. If you've been wearing dirty clothes, how do you get off your clothes? Do you stand in front of the mirror and say, okay, clothes... Uh, I'm done with you. You're no longer needed and you're dirty. I'm finished with you. We don't do that. And then expect your clothes uh, to just jump off of your body. Of course not. If that's how you tried to do it, you'd go You go to bed still wearing your dirty clothes. The only way you're going to get your clothes off your body is by making the decision to utilize your hands, even if you don't think uh, through the entire process. I'm going to push these buttons through my buttonholes. I'm going to unzip this zipper. I'm going to take my arms out of the sleeves one at a time. I'm going to take off these pants one leg at a time, and I'm going to remove these dirty clothes from my body. Now let's apply this analogy to the phrase lay apart in James one twenty one. James was saying that as we hear the word of God, we may discover an area of our lives or belief system that doesn't line up with the word. When that happens, it isn't enough for us to simply recognize that something isn't right in our walk with God. That, that isn't going to change us. We have to make a decision to deliberately remove what is wrong from our lives. This is actually describing the act of repentance. Repentance is the conscious decision to embrace God's truth and then make any needed changes to line up with that truth. It is to pray along this line, Lord, the way i think about the way i think about and deal with this area of my life is wrong so i'm going to begin to take steps right now to get my way of thinking about this in line with your word i'm going to take off that wrong mindset and i'm going to lay it down And because the word apo is part of the Greek word apotithomy, you are actually saying, I'm going to put so much space between me and that old sinful mindset that I won't even be able to easily reach over, pick it up, and put it back on again. Amen. Thank you. Isn't that good? That apo component is an important one because when we've thought wrongly, about something for a long time, we're very easily inclined to pick up that wrong mindset again, put it back on, and continue to think that way. We see then that James was talking about our responsibility to make a permanent break with what the Holy Spirit points out as wrong in our lives, pushing it so far away from us that we can never reach it again. That's, that's what I want. I don't know about you. Have you heard the story of a man who wanted to lose weight but kept going to the refrigerator to look for something tasty that he shouldn't eat? This story is actually about me, but I just wanted to put it in a metaphor. Okay? It's me and Brady. All right? And after eating what he shouldn't have eaten, he would pray again, oh, God, please help me change. Now, listen, I've done this. I'm, I'm, I'm you know... I made it look like it wasn't me, but I'm just, I'm confessing my sins before you. The man sincerely wanted to change, but his flesh so wanted to eat the wrong type of food. Finally, in desperation, the man, the, the man padlocked the refrigerator and put the key in a place he couldn't easily get to. In other words, he did something to prohibit himself from being able to readily open the refrigerator door and violate his diet. Of course, the man's solution for his particular problem was permanently wasn't permanently uh, practical, since eventually he would have to open the refrigerator door and choose the right food to eat. But what he did, <clears throat> but what he did to his refrigerator door to solve his problem illustrates our point. This is the strategy you have to adopt concerning any area of your life that grieves the Holy Spirit. You must do whatever is necessary to make it very difficult to violate the commitment you made before God to change in that area. Perhaps you're giving up cigarettes or another bad habit. Or maybe you know you've been um, associating with the wrong person or group of people. Perhaps perhaps you come to realize you have a wrong way of thinking or believing that doesn't line up with God's Word. Whatever it is... You have to do something to permanently bar yourself from going in that wrong direction again. You have to apotithomy, take the hindrance off of your life, lay it down, and then push it so far from you that you will never be able to reach for it, put it back up, um, put it back on again. You guys getting something so far? Notice what James said next: "Lay apart all filthiness and superfluous naughtiness." Taken in context, he was talking about wrong believing and wrong thinking. And in the strongest terms, the that word filthiness is the Greek word ruperia, which describes someone or something that is so dirty that he or it stinks. This word ruperia can also mean exceptionally cheap or low quality. This means when we walk in the way of sin, it causes us to drastically devalue ourselves. James used the Greek word ruparia in this verse to make it very clear how the Holy Spirit views the sin we hold on to uh, versus laying it apart. When we entertain and tolerate a wrong mindset, an erroneous belief, or an unbiblical Way of acting in our lives, the Holy Spirit says that sin carries a stench. Spiritually, it is grimy and it's filthy. Yet, you've made the decision to continue on what you're doing, what you're thinking, and what you're believing, even though you know that it's wrong and not fit for your life in me. How many of y'all have ever felt like this before? All right? If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. My Lord, have mercy. All right? Uh, You're the one I'm talking about then, all right? James went on to further uh, describe this ongoing condition of filthiness by writing superfluity of naughtiness. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? The word superfluity, is that how you say it, Pastor Robert? I think so too. Superfluity. I sound so smart, don't I, Jim? It's because I am. Superfluity is a Greek word that describes a river so swollen with water that it's now spilling out over its banks. This means if you don't get a grip, get a grip. Everybody say, get a grip. All right, I'm going to. On what is wrong in your life, it will just continue to get worse and worse and worse until it becomes an overspilling superfluity and begins to affect every part of your life. Should we even talk about offense? No, I won't do it. I'm going to pick on y'all enough tonight. The Bible calls this condition superfluity of naughtiness. The word naughtiness comes from the Greek word kakia. And when I, when I was talking into my iPad, it kept putting khaki. And I didn't want khaki, I wanted kakia. I think that's right. And to pick something rank, something foul, or something filled with stench. Whatever is being described with this word is just horrible, it's putrid, it's a mess. How I many of y'all have ever been around those people before? They just stink. Can we just be real. Years ago, we had an usher, and, and I'm telling you, it looked like he just chopped up. It smelled like he'd get out of the shower, and it just smelled like he chopped up onions. Have you all ever been around those people before? How many of y'all have people in your home like that? Raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, that was a test. <laughs> Julie raised her hand. I, uh, I've smelled it before, too, Julie. So... <laughs> How does an area of a believer's life uh, sink into this rancid condition? It happens when the Holy Spirit confronts a believer about a spiritual degenerative uh, process in his life, and the believer chooses to remain stuck in his condition. Even though he knows that his actions, his habits, system of belief, or ways of thinking are wrong. For this type of believer, it just takes too much effort to make the necessary changes. Consequently, his condition becomes spiritually grimy, stinky, and finally, putrid. That's what James meant when he wrote, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He was saying, in essence, hey, Get rid of that hindrance. Take it off. Lay it down. Get, away, get it away from you. Instead of walking around in all that filth, all that wrong thinking, all that wrong believing, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. A transplant that will save your life. Let's get into the engrafted part. Let's look at the phrase in James one twenty one: receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word engrafted is the Greek word emphutos, which describes something that was put in, in you later on in life. Or something that is subsequently planted in you at a later date. In other words, you were not born with this. It was not originally with you. It is something that was placed into you subs, subsequent. What, what's the word I'm trying to use here? To your natural birth. The best illustration of this uh, concept would be an organ Transplant. When someone has an organ, an organ that has failed, that person's life is in jeopardy unless someone donates his or her organ. Allowing the person with a diseased organ to receive an an organ transplant. The organ transplanted into the patient's body during that surgery isn't original to that person, but he has to have it in order to live. I hope you're already getting it. It's interesting that when a donor organ is placed in a patient, his or her body uh, immediately tries to reject it. Think about that. The new organ is there, placed inside to save the person. He cannot live without it. But because it's not original to him, his body says, This doesn't fit. This isn't comfortable. This was not originally a part of me. And the only way the transplant surgery will be deemed a success as if the patient's body finally receives with meekness that engrafted organ. The word infutos that James used when writing about the engrafted word carries the same idea. Here we have the picture of someone who has his own ideas about things, his own belief system. Maybe he has grown up in an environment of traditional religious ideas But then he hears that the word of God has the power to save his soul, the power to transform him from the inside out, and he makes a decision that he is going to receive the word with meekness. This word meekness comes from the Greek word praoutis, which describes a person who knows and likes what he thinks, but has decided to lay aside and deny his own feelings. Deny his own thoughts, deny his own opinions, and willfully and deliberately submit to the authority of someone else in order to receive what that person has to say or impart to him. James was saying in this verse that the only way God's word will ever take root in a person is through his quality of praetis or meekness. When people hear the word meek, they often think that it means someone who is weak. That is not what the Greek word praetis means at all. Rather, praetis... Describes someone who thinks he is right but has submitted himself to someone else. So he's making the deliberate decision to deny himself the right, the right to act on what he thinks or prefers. And to instead submit himself to the word of that person he has committed to serve. To receive the word of God with meekness, you have to say no to your old ways. No to your, to your flesh. And no to your, opinion, your own opinions which are usually very strong. You have to deny yourself, open your heart, and deliberately say, I am going to receive what I need from the one I have committed my life to. Now, steps to a successful transplant. In order for the word of God to be truly transplanted in you, here are a few steps to help you out. Number one, submission. Everybody say, Submission. What does it say? James 4, 6, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to be submitted to the Word and the authority of God. You have to make a decision that you're going to come under God's authority. Believe what He says and do what He tells you to do regardless of how you feel. Is that the truth? That's the truth. Elimination. Elimination. You have to eliminate all other voices, feelings, and opinions, including your own. Did you hear that? Eliminate anything that would distract you. Here's the third one, decision. You have to make the decision. I will not veer from God's Word. I'm going to be committed to what He says and to the principles of His Word. I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. The next one after decision is continuation. You can't just follow these steps once. You have to continually implement them. Continually denying yourself. Continually remaining in submission to the Word of God. Continually eliminating eliminating whatever is a hindrance to your spiritual walk. You have to continually say, I'm going to receive this Word. This Word may not feel natural to me. It may be different from what I've been taught in the past. However, this is the Word that has the power to save me, change me. Heal me and totally alter my entire course of life. And I need to have this if I'm going to live the fullness of what God intended for my life. The fifth one is this, is reception. As you do these things, finally kick it into gear and the word begins to produce life in you. You begin to truly receive the word of God into your life. When you reach the stage of true reception, this verse says the word is able To save your soul. Amen. The word able in James one twenty one comes from the Greek word dunamis. And it describes what? Power. When you deny yourself and open your heart to the word of God. When you submit to the word. Eliminate wrong thinking. Make the decision to stick with the word. And continue in the word daily in order to deeply receive from its eternal truths. All of these right decisions release a flood of divine power in you and through you. It's like that transplanted organ when it finally begins to take root and function correctly in the new environment, and as a result preserves a life. As you embrace the truths of God's Word, the life in that engrafted Word will begin to release its saving power into your soul. The word save is the Greek word sozo. It means to deliver. To save or to heal? The word soul is the Greek word's um, psyche, and it refers to the mind or the emotions. If you'll embrace the word and make a decision to submit to it, the word of God will begin to deliver your head. And it's your head that needs to be delivered because that's where all the wrong thinking takes place. The saving power in the word also works to heal your body, prolong your life, deliver you from bondages of every sort, and cause every area of your life to prosper and be blessed. How many of y'all can testify to that? You must have the engrafted word in order to grow and thrive in this life. Yet when you first hear the word and its truth enters your heart, your mind may be tempted to reject it. This is a common occurrence as the engrafting process begins to work in a person's soul. He begins to read the Word and hear the principles of the Word taught, and the Word enters his heart. The spirit of the person is drawn to the life in that truth. Meanwhile, his traditional, traditional belief system might be causing him to think thoughts like, Wait a minute. That isn't what I've heard in the past. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like this. Soon the person's unrenewed mind begins to try to reject reject the truth that doesn't fit. Or perhaps that person's uh, flesh doesn't like what the Bible is telling him that he needs to change in his life. So just as the human body tries to reject a donor organ, this person's flesh or mind may try to reject the word that, he has, that has been engrafted into his heart with the power to save his soul. What does the medical world due to help a person receive a donor organ that his body will, not, will no doubt be tempted to reject. First, the person has to submit to an operation and be willing to have his body opened up in order to exchange his damaged organ for the new one. Then he has to submit to, to the very tender care of a doctor who has the responsibility of hovering over him and keeping watch over his condition. The patient also has to faithfully take the prescribed medicine in order to help his body adapt to the donor organ so it can thrive in its new environment. Usually, the transplant patient will have, have to take the medication regularly for the rest of his life. Since his body will always be tempted to reject this organ, that wasn't originally part of him. But finally, that healthy donor organ will begin to kick in and work the way it's supposed to. And as it does, it saves the life of that person. Are you guys getting this yet? Isn't this good? That's exactly how this soul-saving process of receiving the engrafted word with meekness works. And it is exactly what we have to do when the word of God comes to us. We must follow these steps that cause us to receive the word with meekness, submission, elimina- elimination, uh, decision. Continuation and reception, these steps are essential if the engrafted word is going to begin to produce the power of change, uh, power to change us from the inside out and in the process, save our soul. Consider what you have learned through this class on the foundational doctrines that you need to understand. Take, for instance, repentance. You may not like to repent. You may not even feel like repenting, but like it or not, the act of repentance will save your life. You have to choose to submit to and receive what God says about repentance and then do it and continue in it. Then you must make the decision that you're going to eliminate everything in you that says you don't need to repent. From this point on, you're going to begin to repent whenever you need to because you are submitted to the word of God. As you continue in that commitment, the truth about repentance and its fruit will kick in. And you will begin to receive the reward of your obedience. Your willingness to walk with a clean heart be, uh, before the Lord will release life-transforming power in your life. And it will save your soul. Becoming obedient. James went on to write in verse 22, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The Greek That is translated, be ye doers, actually means be ye becoming. In other words, you might not immediately know how to do everything in God's word that is preached to you, but you can start where you are. Sometimes there's a process of becoming fully obedient. There's the word there. Fully obedient to the word that you hear. Sometimes we have to start where we are and make the decision to be obedient. That's what, what verse 22 is referring to when it says be ye doers of the word. As I said earlier, the Greek really says, be ye becoming. So if we can't immediately get all the way to the finish line of our obedience in a particular area, we should at least start where we are and determine to do what we are able to do. That decision then begins the process of our becoming doers of the word. The word doer is the Greek word poietis, which is the word of creativity. It's where we get the word for a poet, a, prof- a profession that definitely has a creative flair. The use of this word carries the meaning that if you can't find a way to con- conveniently obey the Bible in, any, in, in an area, you are to get creative and find a way. There is always a way for you to do what God says. Hearer only. Remember, you are called to be a disciple or committed learner who is listening, learning, and applying what you learn. God doesn't call you to be a hearer only. He calls you to to be a learner and a doer. But what does it mean to be a hearer only? We find the answer in the meaning of the Greek word akroaktos, which is uh, translated hearer only in James 1.22 and not hearers, hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This word acroatus was a word used to describe students who attend a class but aren't serious about learning what the class offers. They are only auditing the course. Can y'all do me a favor on a Sunday morning or even a Wednesday night? Please don't just audit the course. All right? You're more than a priester or a CEO. These are students who just showed up because the rest of the class was there or because it was required for them to be present. But these students didn't really listen or pay attention. They just wanted to make sure that their name was marked as present in class. They were present physically, but mentally they weren't really there. They were just hearers only, or you could even say they were just auditors or attenders. This verse tells us, There are two kinds of Christians. Number one, there's doers, one who hears the teaching of the Word and diligently diligently finds a way to put what he heard into practice. This is the attribute of a true disciple. Number two, there is the one who shows up only because he expected it, because he's expected to, sorry. He goes to church because that's where all his friends are. He likes the people there. He enjoys the music. But when it comes to the ministry of the Word... This person simply checks out. He's physically present, but mentally and spiritually, he's not really there. He's just taking up space on the pew or chair. He's not a serious learner, listener. He's an attender, a hearer only. He has no intention of ever doing much of anything with what he's heard. That is, if he ever really heard anything. I don't know about you, I don't want to be number two. Verse 22 concludes by saying, deceiving your own selves. This phrase, deceiving your own selves, comes from the Greek word. Uh, now, I asked Alexa how to say this. And she told me right, all right? Para, Paralogizomai. Giz, Paralogizomai. And it means to make a miscalculation. This is good. Y'all lean in on this. This is good. It was borrowed from the world of libraries. and libraries, scholars would put documents side by side to compare and analyze the information contained in both documents. If they made a wrong analysis or came to a wrong conclusion, their wrong conclusion was called paralogizomai, translated deceiving your own selves in this verse. James was saying, in effect, if you think you're going to score great in life, And things are going to be better just because you came to church. You have made tragic miscalculations. This is so true, y'all. Your analysis of your situation is wrong. Just showing up is not going to produce results in your life. Of course, showing up is important because it's part of being faithful. But if that word is going to do anything in you, you have to listen to it and find a way to obey it. You have to be a doer of the word. That is what the Bible says. You guys getting anything out of this yet? Y'all need to use this on other people. Take it and run with it. Understanding your spiritual status. In James 1.22, James was essentially asking, what kind of believer are you? Are you really a disciple doing something uh, with what's being preached? Are you serious about it? Or are you just showing up so you can be marked that you were present? So, I want to ask you, congregation, the ones listening right now, are y'all ready? Are you a doer of the word or are you just an attender? Christ calls you to be a disciple or a learner who does something with what you have heard. If you have no real intention of doing anything what you've heard, you are here only. And according to the end of that verse, you are probably deceiving yourself because it isn't just the hearing of the word that changes you it's when you do the word of god that its power is released in you amen i was talking to my mom earlier and i was telling her i'm i'm not always worried about the enemy i'm always worried about the inner me all right i'm gonna preach that sunday so y'all be here sunday I'm, talk- I'm talking about walls. Y'all be here. Man, there's something stirring in my spirit. Walls are falling. To help you honestly locate yourself, let's move on to James one twenty-three, where James described the person who hears only. For any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. The word glass is really the word for a mirror. Everybody say mirror. So this verse, and probably you have maybe a translation that actually it looks like that. So this verse pictures a man who looks in the mirror and sees his natural face. I want to sing Michael Jackson right now. I really do. But I'm not going to. All right? Or Justin Timberlake. Brady, you want to come sing Justin Timberlake? All right. Just making sure. Thomas probably would. It's the man in the mirror. Okay. Okay. The Greek actually could be translated like a man who looks in the mirror at the face he was born with. Oh, man, this is so good. I, this is revelation right here. When most of us look in the mirror, mirror at the face we are born with, we wish we could trade, trade it for another face. Or we wish we could lose weight. Or we wish we could have a facelift. Most of us see something ourselves we don't like. That's the visual James wanted to give us in verse 23. Now, women, that's probably more. I always say this when, when in counseling uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. What does he say? He says, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. He didn't tell the wife that because the wife, when she looks in the mirror, she sees all these flaws. But when the man looks in the mirror, he goes, oh, yeah. Is that not the truth? <laughs> that is the truth. All you wives are like, that is so true, right? So those of you that have been in marriage counseling or premarital counseling, that's why he says, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. He didn't say wives, love your husbands as you love yourself because there would be lots of flaws with that, even though they are always beautiful and they see all these things that nobody else sees. Can I get an amen from all the husbands out there? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Don't get me started. How much time we got? None. When most of us look in the mirror at the face we were born with, Oh wait, this verse paints a man who goes to the mirror and immediately sees what he needs to fix as he is beholding himself. He sees the face he was born with, displaying all its flaws, and it's clear to him that he needs to shave, brush his teeth, and work on his appearance. But rather than give attention to what he sees and take a action to make some needed changes he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of a man he was in other words he thinks wow I need to make a change well one of these days I'll do that then rather than spending the time with the Lord in his word and in prayer to deal with the flaws he sees this person delays change and goes on his way So let's bring the subject home and talk about how you might fit into these two verses. Imagine, for instance, that the Spirit of God has been dealing with you about a wrong attitude you've been harboring. He's been telling you to repent and to change, but you never take the needed time in the presence of the Lord to really take care of that issue. You recognize that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about it, and you see that the Bible is in agreement with you, but life is busy and and. You're on your way to the next item in your schedule. Before, <clears throat> on your schedule before you've done anything about getting rid of what uh, wrong attitude that the Spirit of God has convicted you about, or maybe there is something that needs to be corrected in your finances. The Holy Spirit has been telling you over and over, "Fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this," and you've kept telling yourself, "It's going to be hard to fix this. I will fix it, but I'm going to fix." I'm not going to fix it today. In the meantime, you go on your way spending more money and spending more money and charging more credit cards and buying stuff that you can't afford and eating out when you have a fridge full of stuff. I know roses is good. Listen, I get it. And making more wrong financial decisions, forgetting what you were convicted about earlier the day in the day. This type of pattern can go on and on, be repeated in many areas of your life. It could be that the Holy Spirit or the Word of God is speaking to you about your bad attitude toward another person, or He might bring up an issue in your marriage or with your children, and you know that you need to repent and make some adjustments. The Holy Spirit is so kind, He'll confront you in love and tell you the real situation. When you look into the mirror of the Word, you'll, you'll see... What you need to change. Aren't, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit is kind? <clears throat> Glad He's kind to me. But change is difficult for most people. So they often mislead themselves into thinking that their situation isn't as bad as it seems. For example, people who are overweight sometimes don't see themselves the way others see them, the scale and their mirror are telling them that they are overweight. But their answer is to deal with the problem superficially by dressing themselves in a way that doesn't reveal all the bulges. But if they think that solves their issue with overeating or eating the wrong kinds of food, they deceive themselves. The Holy Spirit is trying to change their mind, mindset and their lifestyle in the area in order to prolong their lives. But often people don't stay in His presence long enough to deal with the issue at, at the root and then begin to take real steps to, to affect that change. That's just one illustration, but that, but that type of scenario is exactly what James is talking about. The word speaks to a believer and convicts his heart as he hears the word. The next step is to find ways to do what he has just heard, but instead he decides to go on his way, not stopping to do anything about it. He straightway forgetteth that manner of man he was, or he loses his conviction and then forgets what the Holy Spirit said to him. In other words, the word doesn't really sink in. The perfect law of liberty. This word gets good. Well, it's all been good, but this is good. That's what the next verse says. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds." This verse is amazing, so let's look at it more closely. Up to this point, James was using the illustration of a person who looks at himself in a hand mirror and seeing an area he needs to work on. Decides not to do anything about it. But in verse 25, James presented an analogy that stands very blunt contrast to the first. He started out, "...but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty..." Here we again have the picture of a person who looks at himself in a hand mirror and sees things that need to be corrected. But this person doesn't just rush off without dealing with what needs to change. He is so concerned by what he sees that he goes goes instead to a table, big table mirror, where he is able to look at the problem more closely. In other words, this depicts a man who wants to fix what is wrong. He wants to do what is right. He doesn't want to just recognize the areas of his life that need to change and then run off to focus on other things without dealing with those areas. Instead, this man says, I'm not moving until I really see this clearly and bring correction to my life. So he hovers over the perfect law of liberty as if it were a large table mirror that actually accurately reveals both what is right and what needs correction in his reflected image. This phrase is referring to the Word of God. You see, to be a doer of the Word, the Bible is not just something he hears. It's it's not just a message that is preached. To him, it is the perfect law of liberty. First, it's a law to be obeyed. The doer's attitude is, I live by this Word. I obey this Word in an and if I am wrong in some area, I'm going to adapt my life to be in agreement with His Word. Then notice it is, it, it, it is called the perfect law of liberty. The word liberty is the same Greek word that describes a slave who has been emancipated. This man understands... If I look into the mirror of the Word of God and see areas in my life that need to change and then submit to the Word and allow it to be a law in my life as I do what it says, then God's Word will emancipate me. It will set me free because this is not a law of bondage. The eternal truths of His Word will free me like a slave who has been emancipated. Isn't that good? It takes work to be a doer. Verse 25 goes on to say, and continueth therein, The doer continues to obey the word from the moment he recognizes what needs to change. He is determined not to leave the table until the, the flaw in his life is repented and permanently fixed. Then it says, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. The word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios, which means hilarious or hilarity. The doer is going to be so blessed that he can hardly contain himself. That's what you feel when you get Set free from yourself. You get so blessed that you're making spiritual progress. You are, blessing, you are breaking free from former negative patterns and hindrances that have prevented you from living the life of abundance God always intended for you. Then notice that the Bible goes on to say that this man shall be blessed in his deeds. One translation says he shall be blessed in his work. I believe that's the New Living Testament. The word deed or work is a translation of the Greek word uh, ergon, which tells us that it takes work to be a continual doer of the Word. Is that not the truth? It is work to obey the Word of God. It is work to take what you've heard and to find a way to creatively do it. If you think you're going to easily become a doer of the Word, as described in James 1.25, with little, eff- little effort or commitment then wave farewell to your prospects of success because it is not done easily. That's why the Greek word for learners or students can also be translated disciples. To obey Jesus was going to require discipline. It was going to take great effort. It was going to take work for those 12 disciples to follow Jesus. That is also what is going to be required of you. However... Keep hovering over the Word of God and make this decision. I'm not leaving this table mirror. I'm not leaving the perfect law of liberty. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look into the Word of God until I truly see what it says and allow its truth to eliminate my, illuminate, sorry, illuminate my path. Wherever I come up short, I'm going to submit myself to the Word, and it's going to set me free like a slave who has been emancipated. And then I'm going to find a way to do what the Word of God tells me to do. So what is the reward of your decision to become a disciple? What do you have to look forward to as you accept the work required to become a doer of the Word? The blessing of obedience. The blessing of obedience is included with God's command to obey. In verse 25, James said, You will be blessed and filled with hilarity and laughter as you faithfully walk out this supernatural transplant of the engrafted word in your life. Over the last two months, you've been given heaven's blueprint for laying a strong spiritual foundation and for reaping the benefits of being a doer of God's word. Now it's up to you to work with that blueprint and to stay on the path of obedience that leads to your success in every area of your life. As you do, you will reap the inevitable harvest, a life that consistently resounds to the glory of God. Amen? Who got some tonight? Amen. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below and if you haven't already subscribe and share this message it helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you be sure to stay connected to us through our church center app our website arenaoflifechurch.org and follow us on social media like facebook and instagram may the lord bless you and keep you his face shine upon you be gracious to you and give you peace thanks again for listening go and make a difference today